0: Hey, if you want, you can turn in um, your Bibles to the Book of James. It's, uh, it's kind of near the front or at, towards the end of the of the Bible. There, the Book of James. We're going to be studying that this semester. Uh, I'll start with this. Uh, when I was in college, two summers I spent working at a sports camp not far from here called Camp Longhorn. it was out on Inks Lake, and the founder of Camp Longhorn, uh, Tex Robertson, he was one of these honest to goodness, bigger than life people. He he, was an, he has an amazing life story. He, it was brilliant. The man invented the Frisbee. All right, so there, you're welcome. Uh, thank you for that. And uh, the blob, if you've ever seen that out on, on, on lakes, he founded the University of Texas swim team. He started it. He was the coach for 15 years. All 15 years, they won the Southwest Conference. An amazing individual. He was part of the Olympic uh, water polo team that won a bronze medal. He trained many world champion swimmers. During World War II, joined the Navy and trained the Frogman team, the underwater demolition team, which would evolve into the Navy SEALs. He was, uh, <laughs> he was passionate, Tex, passionate about swimming. So, when you went to, te- to Texas camp, Camp Longhorn, you're going to swim a mile. <laughs> Everyone. Swims a mile at Camp Longhorn. All 4,000 kids, even cabin zero second graders that don't even know how to swim, by the end of the third week, they're going to open water swim. It's across Inks Lake, okay? it's no side of a pool or flip turns to coast. It happens every year for decades. (laughs) And here's how he did it, okay? Two things. One, he would give like a vision of victory. And the vision of victory was a mile swimmer patch. And it was, uh, and it was orange and white, and it was in the shape of, of, of a shark. So you'd come in as a tadpole, but you'd leave as a shark, and it would, it would kind of inspire you for what you would be doing, and it would remind you of what you've done. But in addition to a vision swim patch, he also provided a way to make the goal happen. He, like, he had a plan, and the plan included a lot of endurance, perseverance, steadfast swimming. That's how it worked. But the expectation was clear. <laughs> you go to Camp Longhorn, you're going to swim the mile. Here's how we do it. Uh, the first week or so, first couple of days, we'd give everybody swim lessons and, or swim tests and make sure everybody was able to swim. And if they weren't, we, we trained them how to do that. And then, after that was established, every time you we went to swim bay, we'd put you out on these floating docks that had an outboard motor attached to them. We'd put every kid on one of those, and then we'd just start taking them out to, you know, the lake, the middle of the lake, and we'd sing these songs. You might as well enjoy the trial or test that you're about to get into, and we'd sing these heroic swim songs. to distract the kids from the panic that was inside their souls. We'd stop the barge and then kick everybody off and say, Swim home. Oh. Yeah. And they did. I mean, we were, look, we were careful about it, you know, made sure they, everybody was safe. But every day, we were just taking them farther and farther out. And then, and then, and then, the day came, and everybody swam the mile, all of them. And they got their mile swimmer patch. Look at the smiles on these kids. For some of them, it was the, most, it was the greatest thing they had done all year. The parents that dropped them off, they'd see their little second grader with a mild swimmer patch. You could knock them over with a feather. It was an amazing experience. It's that whole, it's like a shadow of what God does for us. Okay. That's what he, he has a plan. He has a, like a vision for what we would become. And then he has a, like a path to get there. We have this, he has this glorious destination for every single saint. And he has, a road, a method to make sure that glorious destination is going to happen. In the context of the book of James, you can see all of that being played out, and the context, the audience, if a single word would relate to that audience, it would be trouble. Trouble in a lot of different ways. So, during that period of time, there was a famine throughout the entire land, and so people were starving and poor, and Claudius, the emperor, would... Allow people to take out their rage on the Jews. And so the Jews were being persecuted, they were get kicked out of Rome and even Palestine and uh having a very difficult time. It was a dangerous time to live. And then the Christians, and at this time, this is the first book written, so it was predominantly, almost exclusively, Jews that were following Jesus Christ, and they were hated by the Jews. So they they're hearing it, they're getting it on three different ways. The Christians were living in poverty, persecuted by the Romans for being Jewish, persecuted by the Jews for being Christians. And so is it any wonder James is going to start this letter right off the block saying, okay, let's talk about the trials that you guys are living with and how, how to live with persecution. One, one person wrote this. This, is the, this was the fear. Persecution purifies, but constant suffering that can crush you. And the saints were growing weary and doing good and living faithfully. And so James is going to come in and encourage them to endure. That's the theme. It's all about perseverance. Now, throughout the entire book, he's going to say, I mean, the theme of the book is is living with faith in God. Uh, uh, growing your faith in God, or, or living by faith, or whatever, you know, right? Those sorts of things. But here's the problem with that. What does that even mean? Faith in God. And we're going to need to know what that means for the rest of our time together, so I thought I'd spend some time explaining that. Simple. Faith in God. Right? And... The problem with just having faith in God is God says to be true to yourself. God says you should be happy. God says to just be a good person. <laughs> right? I mean, he doesn't say any of those things. And the, the, the problem with just saying we have to improve or strengthen our faith in God is it's, it's, it's too vague what faith means, and it's too obscure what, what, who God is. So when we talk about faith in James, and from now on, we're going to talk about faith in, like, not God, Yahweh. Y-H-W-H. Yahweh. That's the God of the Bible. That's who we're supposed to have faith in. And what kind of faith are we supposed to have? And what about Yahweh? Again, it's a little bit too vague and obscure, right? So we're supposed to have faith in Yahweh, but what about... the we're talking about in the Bible, we're talking about the Bible tells us the nature and the caricature of God, his attributes, and in particular, particularly in James, there's multiple attributes, but in, in James's case, we're talking about Yahweh's attributes of God is loving, uh, God, God is kind, that attribute. And then the other thing we're having to trust in is that God is sovereign. And there's a 50-50 chance I spelled that right. Now, sovereign, what sovereign means is that God knows. He has a plan. And he has the power to make the plan happen. That's what sovereign means. So the point is this, is that when we say we have faith, we say we have faith in Yahweh, and we have faith... That God is good and loving and kind, and that God is sovereign, that he knows what's happening, he has a plan, and he has a power. And and we know this because what? Because of the promises of God. And so many saints commit multiple passages to memory that remind us and validate these truths. Uh, comes to mind here is Romans 8, one of my favorites, Romans 8, the whole chapter. But in one section it says, uh, how, how will God, you know, how, how would God, who did not spare his only son, now with him, not freely give us all the things that we need? Right? If God didn't spare his own son because of his love for us, how is he not going to give us anything that's not going to be good for us? Uh, his sovereignty. There, this one's a little more complicated, but in Genesis... Uh, 37 to 50 is an amazing story of Joseph who has been just in a series of, he's a victim of evil and he's a victim of accusations of injustice. And during that entire time, this storyline is building to this single sentence that is repeated at the climax. It's repeated two times and it goes like this. What you meant for evil, Yahweh meant for good. Point was, it doesn't make sense until... God gets a hold of it. He is loving and kind and sovereignly power in Joseph's life. And those things need to be reinterpreted in the context that God is good and God is loving. So when James talks about for the whole book, he's talking about when he's talking about improving our faith or trusting. He's talking about trusting Yahweh that he is a loving and a kind and sovereign and powerful God. And trials put this to the test, don't they? Isn't that the the point of contention that we're, we're wondering, we're wondering, is it, is he good? Or maybe he just doesn't know. The cornerstone of atheism, right? If there's a God, then why is there evil if he's loving and he's powerful? So this is the contest that we're in in our lives. This is the board that we'll be referring to when we talk about faith, and we're talking about growing our faith, we're putting our faith, and we're going to, this is the theme here, in many respects, is you don't get to choose the trials and the trouble you get into, you get to choose how you respond to it. And when a person responds in faith, that means they're trusting, independent of circumstances or feelings, that God is loving and God is powerful and sovereign. Now with all of that in mind, (laughs) let's read the first few sentences in the book of James together. We'll start with last week with just the introduction. James says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in dispersion, they've been scattered, greetings. Count it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, uh, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, that's endurance and steadfastness, and, and let perseverance have its perfect effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. So, let's just look at that first sentence, that when you encounter, when you meet, <laughs> he says, when you meet various trials, things that we can know from this even these first few words, is one is that trials are assumed, they're given. He doesn't say if you have a trial, but when you have a trial. And then he says, when you, have, when you meet various trials, Various. Various is, in the Greek, is where we get the word polka dot, which is the idea of, of multitude, kind of the idea that they're scattered. It's all of the above. It's, yes, it is your reputation. It is your health. It is your wealth. It is your children. It, it is your marriage. It's all of those things all coming at you as a means of testing you to see how you're going to live in faith in Yahweh. And often, when it rains, it pours. <laughs> One of the, in the translation we're using here, when you meet various trials. Meet, sounds like, oh, hey, trial, we haven't met. Come on, let's come in the house, let's have some. No, the word in the King James Version is translated literally and it's more effective. It, it is when you fall into trials, when you fall into various trials. And the idea is to expect the unexpected because this word is only used three times in the New Testament, here, and then a time when, in Acts chapter 27, when Paul is on a a boat that is lost at sea during a storm at night with seasoned sailors, and they're trying to make sure they don't run aground. So they're all looking, they're all aware, and then they fall into a sandbar, and the boat just starts being torn apart. So they were looking, and they still fell into a sandbar. And the other passage that's mentioned is when Jesus is telling the story of the Good Samaritan, and when he's telling that story, he says, he starts by saying there's a journeyman that's going through the Killbox street going to Jericho. Everybody knew it was a terrible street road path to go on, and so you can bet this guy's looking around for bad guys. He's certainly aware, but he needed to expect the unexpected because it still says he was jumped He fell into thieves. Expect the unexpected. The best part of this sentence is, (laughs) while you're being mugged, okay, it says, consider it all a joy. Pure joy. I'm sorry, I left that out. Count it pure joy. Uncontained with bitterness, or uncontaminated with bitterness or resentment. Yeah. (laughs) And, I guess the first thing is joy and happiness are not even the same. So you don't have to be happy about the trials, and you're not even supposed to have joy about the trial but what it produces. But joy is a state of, of an awareness of being right with God. And so you could be on a back stairwell in a hospital by yourself weeping uncontrollably And in that moment, those groanings could actually serve as worship. Because in that, you've not lost trust and faith that God is love, and God is in control, and none of it makes sense to you. But in that, you are with him. That's joy. So consider just pure joy when you encounter different types of trials. And, again, he doesn't say uh, it's, it's the trial that you're supposed to be loving. It's the, the fact that you get an opportunity here. God is using this opportunity to give you a chance to show and endure that he is good and that he is powerful. Look what it says. Again, it's, it's why. Count, look, verse 2. Count it pure joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, why? Not because of the trials. We're not celebrating that. But what the trials can produce. It's the potential that the trials have. Verse 3. For you know that the testing of your, of your faith produces a perseverance. Perseverance. Or endurance, translations. Or steadfastness. Now James is going to use perseverance three times in this sermon. Twice at the beginning and once at the end. Just like a good preacher, he's going to sandwich these two. So what is Perseverance. Perseverance. Well, he said, it's, it's other translations, the coach is telling us it's uh, endurance and, and steadfastness. But it literally means abide underneath. And so the idea is like you're holding a weight over your head, right? Or you're, you're holding up, I don't know, a house. And it's the ability to stand that for a long period of time without being crushed. And the picture here is that God, in his love and his sovereignty is giving us trials or allowing trials to come into our lives so that we can grow in our perseverance, grow in our endurance, get stronger and stronger as we go because he has, just like the Longhorn uh, swimmer patch, he has a destination for us. It's a beautiful destiny, but the road to get there, it's long and it's uphill and he wants us to endure that because we're going to be glad we get there when we do. And, and you're asking, well, what's the, de- what's the destination? What does God have for us? What is the good and the powerful Yahweh bringing us towards? This is the predestined plan for every believer in Jesus Christ. Be clear about it. This is the predestined plan for every believer in Jesus Christ. Let's read the passage. Count it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance have its perfect effect that you may be perfect, that means mature, complete, and lacking in nothing. The destination is that we would be perfect. That word is teleos, James is going to use this word more than any writer in the New Testament loves this word. He wants us to know that's our destination, that's our destiny, that's our predestination. And so he's going to define the word right there. It means mature, complete, lacking in nothing. It means an undivided relationship with Jesus Christ. It means uncontaminated devotion to Yahweh. If you were here last week, we're going to add a word to our chant. It was, I am a bondservant slave of King Jesus alone. No one else. And just so you know, that James isn't the only writer that says this is the end. This is the destination. As a matter of fact, James says it, but Jesus says it. And Paul says it. And the writer of Hebrews says it. They're all saying it because they all know that's, that's what God's up to in our lives. And the means of getting there is to build us perseverance. And to have perseverance, we're going to need some trials. So look, look what, here's what Jesus said. Therefore, you are, per, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Peter said it like this. Therefore, my beloved, be diligent and be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. There it is again. And for Romans, Paul says, For those he foreknew, he predestined. This is our predestination. Predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that we might be the firstborn of the brethren. Paul said it. Peter said it. Jesus said it. James says it. Grace Covenant Church said it. If you hear what our, our goal is around here, our motto is that everyone would become like Christ in all of life. And that's what we mean to be whole and complete and mature, become like Christ in all of life. We say that, these authors say that, because then and now, people live fractured, faithful lives. They, they compartmentalize their faith. They trust God and live by faith in certain areas where they think God is loving or God is sovereign. And so you'll know someone that is famously walking a faithful life at work, not so much at home, or sometimes the other way around. She is Christ-like in the way she is raising those children, but not the way she treats her husband. It's, it's the, Honestly, it's the classic saint on Sunday, not so much on Monday. And so, James is saying that the sovereign power of a loving God is arranging our lives to allow difficulties and trials so that we would learn how to live longer and stronger under the weight of those trials, not giving in to not believing that he is loving or not believing that he is that he's in charge. This life that we live in, this is the playground that the sovereign loving God enjoys. And he arranges things so that we can just show people. And we, we, don't get to, we don't get to pick the trials. We get to pick the way we respond to the trials and whether or not we're not going to live by faith or trust that he is these things. Because trials kind of, they make us blink on one of these. We can't bear underneath anymore. And so sometimes our lives get a little bit out of hand, out of control, and we say, you know what? If, if God's not going to be in charge, if he's not going to do things the way I want them done, I'll do it. And I will use my power, my wit, my resources, my contacts, and I'm going to get this thing done. Rest and, I'm know, rest and know the Lord is God. No, nah. that was last week, and we become little gods. That's how you don't live by faith, that he's in charge. Sometimes, often, when we're in a great deal of pain or suffering or loneliness or embarrassment, we just think, well, God says he loves me and he says he's kind. I'm not feeling it, and so if he's not going to give it to me, I'll take it myself. And we, the way we don't live by faith in this, we just say, I will absolutely do things that are against the holy decrees of God because I want this in my life. And so that's how we express our lack of faith in these two attributes of God. That's how we get crushed by it. And James is saying, look, God is sending these trials to you not to crush you, not to cause failure in your life, but to get you back up And getting stronger and trusting that he trusting that the King Jesus is in charge and he's loving in his rule of your life and the kingdom. And so our lives are to help us swim longer. Each what each each season of life has a new set of trials, a new set of difficulties. Each time the barge is going a little farther out, getting us to swim in so that we would have perseverance about trusting and living under Yahweh's rule, his loving rule. So, how do we live in the context of all of these various trials where perseverance is what's being added to our life? Well, James says, here's how you do it. First thing you ought to do is, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives it, God gives it generously and without any reproach, and it will be given to him. And so, God's eager to give us wisdom, and, and wisdom isn't like today we would, sometimes we think knowledge is wisdom. Knowledge is data, it's the stuff we memorize, it's how you get great grades on tests. But th- wisdom is the ability to take that and know what to do with it, the, the bigger picture. Uh, it's, wisdom is how life works, how life under the kingdom works, how he designed it and how we're to live that way. Uh, the difference is a, gra- it's a great quote where a person said, uh, man has the ability. They've amassed enough knowledge to know how to go faster than the speed of sound. But the wise man knows that mankind in general is going faster and faster in the wrong direction. That's the ability to distinguish the two. And, and James is saying, just ask for wisdom. And he's going to help you negotiate how God can be both sovereign and loving and work this out. Sometimes he gives you a Bible verse, a story to be told, or some kind of experience. And the wisdom about what it's going to. A lot of times, it's about this—the nature of God and what He's promised. But James says, "Look, if you're going to ask for wisdom, like you got—you got to be in. You have to be a servant of the King Jesus. Look what He says: Don't be doubting. Let him who ask ask in faith, not doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person, he must not." Suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord because he's a double minded man and he's unstable in many ways. Well, it says here that the Lord's not going to give him any wisdom because he's double minded. Double minded means uh, two souls, two hearts. I would say two allegiances. It, one writer says it's like there's a civil war going inside this person's life. And they, in other words, choose a side. A double minded man says, I want to be a saint. I want to be popular (laughs) well which is it it can't have one or the other i want to i want to be i want to walk with god but i want to be part of the cool kids so and 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 so he's saying here look it's like giving directions if if somebody you wouldn't give directions to someone if they said hey look from here how do i get to uh california or florida well Okay, they're completely different ways. So if you tell me which way you're going, I can tell you which you should go east or west. James is saying here, God's not going to give you directions to his destination unless you choose that's where you want to be. And God's destination for every child, his predestination for every follower of Jesus Christ, because he loves you and because he's sovereign, is that you would become like Christ in all of life. That you'd be mature, perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. You want to go there? Ask God for wisdom to how, like how you should live, how you should interpret things, and He'll give it to you, like generously. He's not going to be condescending about it, He wants you to know. And so just ask, but don't doubt. And as the passage continues, James is going to say, here's some wisdom. Here's here's some wisdom that you can go with right now. And what's what's wonderful about this section, it introduces a teaching style that James has. He's going to sound a lot like his half-brother Jesus and the book of Proverbs. You mix them up, you you have James. He's going to use, he's going to teach some of the parables that Jesus teaches, and then he's going to teach a proverb like this is how you do it. Here's the value you should have, Sermon on the Mount. Here's how to get that value. And so that's what he'll do right here. Um, he's gonna say, Sermon on the Mount-like, eternal perspective. James is gonna say, lift your eyes up. Look at heaven, don't worry about earth. You've gotta choose eternal perspectives. You've gotta be living for the king that's eternal. This stuff here, temporal, passing. Don't give your life or hope to that. Look, again, look what he says in verses uh, nine or so. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. And let the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away and, and the sun rises and, and, and it's scorching heat and it withers the grass and the flowers fall and his beauty perishes. It's transitional. So, so also will be the man, the rich man, as he fades away in the midst of all of his pursuits there. So in summary here, he's just like the rich and the poor are on level ground. When it comes to trials, because everything's like passing; it's all temporary. The rich man's wealth—it's just like coming and going. It's—it's—and he's not talking about wealth as, as much as he's talking about anything you put hope in that can be lost or stolen or rust, like Jesus said. And and he's what he—he's saying uh, you're you're a son. You know, like, you are a bond slave of Jesus Christ, the king alone. Like, that's enough for you. And the stuff that, like, you're holding on to, that's like everybody's front lawn right now. Like the scorching heat just toasted it this summer, right? He said, that's, that's what wealth is like. And the poor man, he says, look, don't, don't let poverty be the thing that defines you. Make, don't make that your identity because that's passing too. In a kind of a like a, I guess, a word picture, James is saying, this life is like high school and college is coming. And none of that high school stuff really matters, right? It's like if you're the rich guy. I Look at you, you got a letter jacket. I, I lettered in several sports. Oh, that's cute, you're a captain too. You wear that letter jacket your first day in college, not gonna be a good day for you for so many reasons one nobody cares and you ought to be humiliated that you put your identity in something that was so last year (laughs) and so it's like you might you might as well be bragging about being rich with confederate currency who cares and again James is saying look isn't it enough that you're a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ alone yeah put your hope there but even the poor person, he's saying, look, you should exalt yourself because, again, it's college. And so there's this guy that's walking around going, I don't have a letter jacket from high school. I never lettered in anything. Nobody, you know, I wasn't very popular. And you know what the college kids say? Nobody cares. <laughs> that was so last year. Isn't it? Like, why are, you, why are you identifying with what was instead of enjoying where you are? Isn't it enough? To define yourself around the fact that you are a bond slave of King Jesus Christ alone. It is. So he's saying, like, that's, that's where your identity should lie. That's the way you should be living. That's, that's the first piece of, like, I guess, uh, wisdom that, that James gives us. How to live in this way. Living and getting endurance is to live for the next life, not this one. And then there's one more piece of wisdom that he gives us. And again, it's going to sound like Jesus blessed is he. It's it's another beatitude here. Verse 12, blessed is the man who perseveres. There's our word again. He's closing it. That's endurance, right? Perseveres under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive a crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Blessed. One of the beatitudes, like satisfied is the person who perseveres all the way to the end. The guy who doesn't quit, the woman who maintains her faith, trust that God is loving and sovereign, entirely independent of circumstances. Because you don't choose the trials that come your way. You choose the way you respond. And if you respond in a way that shows that you absolutely serve a king that loves you and is in in charge, you, like, endure suffering all the way to the end. He says, there's a promise here, one day, and then, and then, and then, and then. You receive a crown, the crown of life. And, I mean, think about that. You receive the crown of life from Jesus the king, who also had a crown of trials and torture. His first crown was thorns, and that was replaced by an eternal crown. We get crowned by thorns. And then we get an eternal crown. We get to enjoy the overlap between our lives and the life of our Savior. And that's why you consider it a pure joy to encounter various trials because that gives us a chance to grow in our perseverance. And that per- perseverance can make us like Christ, like in all of life. Because that's what's right and real and true. This is the truth about how life is. James comes right at us, hard and fast. And this is a difficult truth to hear. That life is suffering, but it has purpose. But when you hear it from a different perspective, maybe from a different angle, it all kind of makes sense. So if you'll just humor me, and just be, I don't know, a camper, at Camp Longhorn. Let me read this to you. Hey, my brothers and sisters, when you're suddenly taken off to the swim bay area, yeah, it's gonna happen. You can expect it. You're gonna be a mile swimmer because you're at Camp Longhorn, <laughs> and you're gonna be put on a barge and taken out into the lake, and then you're gonna be kicked back. You're gonna be kicked off so you can swim back. You count that a joy because listen, you get to go to camp. And that swimming back is going to be building endurance and stamina and perseverance in your swimming. And that endurance, if it continues, and it will, you're going to be a mild swimmer. That'll be you. That's a mature swimmer. That's the way you're supposed to be. Now, if, if any of you are going through this and you're wondering, how can all of this be happening to me? Is it any good or is there a plan? You can just go to... I hate this. Go to Tex. (laughs) And Tex Robertson, he'll tell you. He'll give you everything you need to know about how to make sense out of this, because Tex knows a lot about swimming. He won't be condescending about it at all. But let me warn you, (laughs) this is actually a true story. When you go to Tex, don't go in there going, I don't want to do the mild swim. I want to go back to be with my mommy. Because he's not gonna give you any advice because you're not listening. Because if you're at Camp Longhorn, you're going to the mile swim. And he doesn't care if you don't be embarrassed. He doesn't care if you if you're a tadpole or if you're a state-ranked swimmer. That's now how he keeps score. All he wants you to do is not be embarrassed and not be cocky, but just learn to endure and enjoy in that endurance. And then and then And then, congratulations, on that day when you show that your stamina and your endurance has made itself complete, you will receive from Tex the Miles Swimmer patch. And you can wear that for the rest of your life so you'll remember what inspired you and what you did. That's a promise from Tex that you'll get that patch. A little shark swimming patch. That is not what this passage is about. Can I read you what James said? He said this. Count it all a joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet various trials of very many kinds. And you got to know this, that the testing of your faith, it produces perseverance. And let that perseverance have its full effect, its complete effect, its perfect effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Now, listen, if some of you are wondering and you're needing wisdom, you just ask God, and he'll give it to you with abundance, and he won't be condescending about it. But you need to ask in faith, because if you're like living for two worlds, if you don't know where where your passport is, heaven or earth, you're like a windsock just blowing around, and you're going to tear your own soul apart. And you're not going to get that wisdom that you need to get through this. If you're lowly, brothers, exalt yourself, because you are a servant of the king. And if you're wealthy, that's good too, but it's passing, and you are a servant of the king. Just remember that in the midst of your pursuits. Blessed is he who perseveres under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the very crown of life which is a promise from Yahweh. And you can take that to the bank. So the next time a various trial shows itself in your life, remember that you can't pick the trial. You can only pick the response. And living by faith is being steadfast and enduring the weight, knowing that God is all-loving and God is all-powerful, And he is in that suffering with you. He has been there. We don't have a high priest that can't relate to us. We have a high priest that has gone through everything we have except without sin. He'll ride that storm out with you. And there'll be a day where you'll say, I thank God for those various trials because that's what gave me the endurance to the end. That's why I wear a crown in heaven that he promised to give me. That's James' lesson for us today, to trust in Yahweh, that he's good and that he's sovereign. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Here's how the writer of Hebrews tells us to live. He says, run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith. And here's how he did it. For the joy set before him, He endured the cross, despising its shame. He knew it was passing. And then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so we're to endure all kinds of hostilities by the sinners around us, just like Jesus did himself, so that we too will not grow weary and we will not lose heart, because regardless of what happens to us, these things you know to be true, that God is loving and God is sovereign. Jesus, you're the only one that will ever save. You're the only one that's worthy of the, every breath that we take. We live for you. I will build my life upon this love. This will be my firm foundation. And I will trust in you and you alone. And I will not be shaken. I pray this is our prayer. I pray we would be a church that lives this way. And all God's people prayed in Jesus' name. Amen.